0: Good morning again. Well, if you would, please turn with me to the Gospel of Mark, Chapter 3. After these few months, we're we're breaking into the third chapter now of the Gospel of Mark. I think almost everybody has heard of the condition called osteoporosis. Anybody never heard of it? Probably everybody's heard of it. Though, those who have it wish they never heard of it. Uh, from what I understand of it, uh, the, the, the problem with the osteoporosis is that it, your, your bones are alive and they're constantly taking tissue out uh, when they're working right. But at some point, they're not keeping up with getting the old material out as the new material is growing. And so, uh, it can cause brittle bones, often in the back, in the hips, and the wrists. Uh, the, the word osteoporosis actually comes from Greek. It's two Greek words smashed together. Um, the Greek word osteos is bone, and the word for porosis in Greek means hard, hardening, or dull, it, uh, you, maybe you get the picture, it's not literal, but the, the hardening of the bones, it's not that the bones are getting harder, but they're not, they're not working the way they should. That's uh, what you get uh, with, with osteoporosis. Well, we encounter a different kind of porosis in our text today. Uh, not the condition in which bones get brittle and weak, but a condition in which the heart is rock hard. If I can invent a word today, uh, we could talk about a cardioporosis. The Greek word for heart is cardia. Again, porosis is hard. If you put those together, you've got a serious condition, and we find it in our text today in the Pharisees. Uh, Maybe it's a, a new word or a new condition we could make up, but it's there's actually nothing new about it. It's been around as long as sin has been around. And, and we're going to see it. It's, it's a deadly condition. Let's read our text today in Mark chapter 3. We'll go down through verse 6. Again, he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come here. And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? To save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at the hardness of their heart, and said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out immediately, and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. Let's pray. Father, we just heard a testimony from Brother Len about uh, your work in the hearts of people and this young man and his heart condition, that you saw fit to heal and bring restoration, Lord. And Lord, I ask that you would help us this morning as we come before you and bring our hearts before you. I pray that you would do your good work, that your Holy Spirit would be at work in us renewing our hearts, renewing our minds, restoring us, refashioning us into your image. Pray that you would help us, illumine our minds. Lord, where would we be without your word? We would be in the dark. So please, Lord, give light today as we look into your text. Help us, I pray, in Jesus' name, amen. We've watched over the last few weeks as we've been going through Mark chapter 2. Conflict has been building as these stories have gone on. It's been like a tea kettle on the stove that's boiling. It's beginning, first starting, you've got a few bubbles, and then you get a little bit of a a slow roll, and then a heavier roll, and then the tea kettle is whistling. That's where we're at right now. In this passage, uh, there is a a loud, piercing whistling that's going on as this conflict is ramping up. Uh, But we don't want to just watch this as observers of a fight going on, as if you were watching a hockey match and you are interested to see who's punching who and how it goes. We're not just spectators. I think we should read this and see ourselves here. Rather, we should, we should even see a warning for ourselves. We don't want to interact with Jesus in a way that would elicit this kind of response. We don't want to be those who would have hearts that would grieve the Lord. To have hardened hearts. I think as an application, the main thing maybe we should pull away from that this morning is that we would let the great physician give us softened hearts. We would let the great physician do his work and give us softened hearts. Let's walk through this text first this morning, and then after that, let's consider let's go come back and consider this condition of cardioporosis. Think about its symptoms. And its cure. Let's go through our text here in Mark chapter 3. Well, The occasion is the Sabbath again. Remember at the end of chapter 2, Jesus and his disciples are walking through the grain fields and his disciples are uh, shucking grain on the way and and eating it like popcorn. And the Pharisees look at them and they say, why are they doing what's not lawful on the Sabbath? And this becomes a challenge. And Jesus' response is to say that the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And then to go on to say that he is the Lord of the Sabbath. And we saw in that, that Jesus, as the Son of God, the one through whom God created all things, uh, he enjoyed that first Sabbath. He instituted the Sabbath. And he is the fulfillment of that Sabbath rest for us. We saw that last week. Uh, And again, it's the Sabbath day. It's another Sabbath day. The setting is in the synagogue. And the characters that we see present here in chapter 3 is Jesus, the Pharisees, and a man who has a withered hand. Now, that seems maybe like a strange phrase. What exactly does that mean? Well, in some sense, his hand was debilitated and unable to be used. Uh, and the, this man is present in the synagogue. You know, he's not fully unable to work. You know, his condition is not good. Um, He's certainly greatly hampered by it, but it's not life-threatening. But the the Pharisees are sitting and they're watching. They're watching Jesus. They're wondering what he's going to do. They already, from what we've seen in chapter 2, they consider Jesus to be unspiritual, consider him to be blasphemous, and see him as a lawbreaker. And here in our text... Says that they're sitting here uh, so that they might accuse him. They're, they're looking for some bit of information, some, some bit of data, evidence with which they can condemn Jesus for. They're trying to gather uh, evidence for a case against him. And Jesus, knowing what's on their heart, as he always does, uh, he asks a question. He calls the man to, to come in front of everybody. The man comes before him, and he asks a simple question. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? Is it lawful to save life or to kill? Now that phrase, is it lawful or it is lawful, that's occurring multiple times here. It happened twice in our last passage. Why are your disciples doing what's not lawful? He responds with the story of David It says, David did what was not lawful. Here again, same word comes up again. Uh, The the whole matter of the law is heavy in this section. And so Jesus asked that to them. They're sitting, they're waiting, ready to judge Jesus. And he asked them, you tell me what's lawful. He responds to them, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath? Or to do evil, essentially. uh, You know, they were experts in the law the Pharisees were experts certainly they should know the answer to this question but they remain silent in that question and in that moment Jesus is exposing the Pharisees uh, their desire is to kill Jesus you know in, in a sense they are working on the Sabbath they are working on a case to justify executing Jesus and here they are trying to condemn Jesus If he would heal this man. So what is lawful on the Sabbath? They don't have an answer. And in their silence, Jesus perceives that their hearts are hard as rocks. These people, who of all people should see God's heart of mercy for this man, have nothing but murder in their hearts for Jesus. You know, they are as bad as any Israelite throughout the history of Israel who had a stiff neck and a stubborn heart. And Jesus is grieved by this reality. He is grieved at the hardness of their heart. And, and there's our word, their hearts, cardia, they are set up with a hardness, a, a parosis in Greek. Uh, and Jesus' appropriate grief turns to a righteous indignation. It says he looks around at them with anger. Now, it is a very rare thing in the Gospels for them to record that Jesus had anger. So when we do see it, we should be alert. This is a key moment. Uh, This is going to be a moment from which there is no turning back. Uh, Again, the conflict is getting to the point where the tea kettle is whistling loud. And Jesus speaks into that. And he says, stretch out your hand. He heals this man in a moment. And from there, the Pharisees turn, they go out, and it says here that they immediately hold counsel. Now, that's apparently on the Sabbath, as if that wasn't work. Uh, They hold counsel with the Herodians, how they might destroy Jesus. Now, having gone over the story, I want to circle back and and look at this moment that raises Jesus' anger. He is angered over the hardness of their hearts, over their cardioporosis, uh, as we watch this account unfold, uh, we, as we think about ourselves in that, we don't want to be in their place. You know, we don't want to share their heart condition. We want to embrace Jesus for who he truly is, in contrast to how the Pharisees do not receive him. So I think it would be fair for us to examine our hearts. Uh, see if we are exhibiting any signs of this condition. Uh, see if we have any of these symptoms of cardioporosis this morning. Well, to understand that, I think we want to see, what are the signs? What are the signs of this kind of hardness of heart? I think the key symptom of cardioporosis, of having a hard heart, is pride. Pride is the key symptom. And that gets fleshed out in different ways. And pride always works against love. The result is a hard heart. And the three areas that we want to look at, we're going to look back in chapter 2 as well because we're going to see these conflicts going on over and over again. We want to see pride as it comes up in expression to God's law, pride over God's law, pride over other human beings, and even pride before God himself. Let's look at pride over the law here. As we look at into the microscope, we could ask the question, how do people with cardioporosis treat the law of God? The hard-hearted person looks at the law and sees himself as just. He looks at the commands of Scripture and says, I'm good, somebody else needs that, not me. It takes a very pride-hardened heart to look at the law and, and think, I've kept that. I'm good enough on my own, you know. Maybe I need some divine help, but I'm I'm not in rough shape. Uh, in each of these skirmishes between Jesus and the Pharisees and the scribes here in Mark two and here, uh, we see that they come off. The Pharisees understand themselves as being in the right, and Jesus as being in the wrong. Uh, in their mind, they do not blaspheme. Jesus is the blasphemer who says that he can forgive people's sins. They don't eat with tax collectors and sinners. They are part of the group who fasts. Oh, do they, they fast regularly? Uh, they keep the Sabbath perfectly. That's their mind. That's how they view themselves in light of God's law. Uh, the Pharisees judge Jesus as a lawbreaker, and they judge themselves as the righteous one. Now, they are missing a very important purpose of the law. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 7, verse 7, that if he didn't know the law, he would not have known sin. He says, I wouldn't have known what it is to covet if the law had not say, thou shalt not covet. One of the important purposes of the law is that it brings an awareness of sin. Rather than giving us pride... As we engage the law, it should bring us onto our knees. It should bring us to a place of desperation before God. Jesus says in Matthew 5.3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. The law should bring us to a place uh, where beyond a shadow of a doubt, we know that we cannot stand before God in judgment on our own. It should reveal that like a, a searchlight in our hearts. But for those with cardioporosis, their heart takes a different path. The hard heart takes the path of pride regarding the law. So we think about ourselves in light of this. So we diagnose ourselves here for a minute. We can ask questions. Do we have pride over how good we are? do Do we pride ourselves in our moral superiority to the culture around us? Or do we humbly admit that any likeness that we have to God's character is because he's been at work? That it's not us, it's not our power, but it's, it's his work. Do we see the wickedness in our society and long for repentance? Or do we join Jonah and sit outside the city and see if maybe God will rain down fire today? I think the call for us is to have hearts like Jesus, uh, and and ones that are soft even for the sinners and the tax collectors. And that's already bringing us into our second symptom here as we think about it. We could call the second symptom pride over other people. This hardness of heart that grieves and angers Jesus is seen in our pride over other people. Uh, Jesus illustrates this so well in Luke chapter 18. He tells a parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. This is Luke 18, verse 9 and following. He He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Did you notice the pride that the Pharisee exhibited in that parable? Uh, The the kind of self-confidence there. That is a sure symptom of cardioporosis. Uh, Did we not see that in our account? As we saw the Pharisees, the scribes challenging Jesus that he's eating with tax collectors and sinners. Wasn't that evident even right there? Jesus' response to them, as they ask, well, why are you eating with tax collectors and sinners, is to say that the doctor comes to those who are sick. And that was the mission that Jesus had. The Pharisees prided themselves in their ability to obey the law. And that produced a pride in them over others who did not. Further, even in our passage here in Mark chapter 3, notice the complete lack of love That the Pharisees have for this man with a withered hand. You step back and think about it, there is an incredible callousness that they have for this man with this handicap. You know, he is nothing but bait for them. You know, he is the bait on the trap that they want to see Jesus walk into. To them, he's nothing more than the minnow that you stick a hook through the back of and toss it in the water. Rather than desiring the healing of this man for his good, they seem to hope to see if Jesus will heal them so that they can condemn Jesus to death. Do you see the ugly and hard hearts of these men here? They could care less about this man. How about our self-diagnostic here? Let's, let's get under the microscope again. When we encounter people who are broken in our lives, do we have the compassion of Jesus that would compel us to reach out and touch the leper and heal them. Yes, we don't have the the power of Jesus uh, to do that. Uh, But, is it our desire to reach out, to engage the lost? Or, could we care less? Uh, Do we long for both physical and ultimately spiritual restoration of people? Or do we say, not my problem? If anybody in this world should have a concern for this man in the synagogue, it should have been the Pharisees. They should have been the people in that day who understand God's heart for somebody like this. They didn't. Their hearts were hardened against him beyond the sense of any feeling. So pride over others is our second symptom. The third symptom, cardioporosis, is the most deadly. That is the symptom of pride before God. Now, this last symptom is evident in the last two. The first two, pride over the law, pride over others. Uh, That really is a pride before God in its own right. Uh, But in our text today, as we look into this, we see uh, a a unique manifestation of this problem. Here, the Pharisees are standing face-to-face with Jesus and they are condemning him. They have the very Son of God before them and they are looking down on Him. You know, can we even get our minds around how haughty that kind of pride is? To stare the very Son of God in the face and condemn Him as one deserving death. God had come to them in Jesus Christ and they rejected Him as a blasphemer and a sinner. But their rejection, rejection of Jesus points to the fact that in their hearts, they had already rejected God. If they had truly known God, as he revealed himself in the scriptures, they would have accepted Jesus. The fact that they didn't showed their own hearts off. I think the Pharisees viewed God as somebody who was to be worked for. Maybe somebody to be obeyed. I don't think they came face to face with God in scripture and saw him as somebody to know and to love. For all their study and their reading of the law that they engaged in, their hearts never engaged God in all that time. At the end of the day, they must have seen God as somebody who was in their debt. All of the good that they did, everything that they did, all the sacrifices they made for God must, in their minds, have put God in their debt. When they meet God face to face in Christ, they hold him in contempt. Now that is the greatest act of pride in the universe. And yet, it's still common today. Anytime someone is confronted with the Jesus of Scripture and says, "No, I'm good. I'm fine." They join the camp of the Pharisees. They pride themselves in their own odds of passing God's judgment with flying covers, colors, or at least getting in. Now that is pride, and that is a scary place to be. Well, perhaps this has uh, been a mindful, maybe this is a hard pill to swallow. Uh, But everything thus far has helped us to diagnose this problem, this hardness of heart. Uh, What are the symptoms of the hard heart? I think next we want to wonder and ask, uh, if we we see the problem, what's the solution? If we have a sickness, we would certainly want the cure. We've heard a lot of bad news about this dire condition Uh, what's the cure? Is there hope? Or is this a terminal illness every time? Well, there is hope. So you think about what the cure is for this hardness of heart. Uh, There is a cure. There is hope. God is able to cure the worst case of cardioporosis. The first thing that he does is he gives the self-righteous sinner a heart transplant. In Ezekiel, God talks in two different places uh, about how he's going to do this for his people Israel. Uh, Although their hearts are hardened as a rock, as he describes them, he's going to give them new hearts. Now, this is a people who have been deported out of the land for idolatry. They are in exile. Ezekiel is preaching to them. He's giving them a prophecy that one day, I think, is going to find a great fulfillment uh, as... They look on Jesus, whom they have pierced, and they turn to him. But at the same time, I think this is true for every single person who believes in Jesus, Jew or Gentile, in our day. Uh, let's, if you want to, you can turn there, you can just listen. This is in Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 24 to 27. That will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness from all your uncleanness says and from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. There it is. This passage is describing the regeneration of the human heart. God alone can reverse the terminal diagnosis of cardioporosis, and he does this by giving us a new heart, by filling us with his Holy Spirit. Every person who turns to Jesus in faith knows the reality of a new heart. Every true believer has been given a new heart. And the invitation still stands for all today to come and have this heart transplant, to humble ourselves before him and trust him for salvation. Now, that's the good news of the gospel, that God can heal even the most hardened heart. God is able to do that. Uh, But, on the other hand, we might think, what if we have believed? What if we are believing in Jesus, and yet uh, we've got traces of rock in our bloodstream? What if we have believed and yet, God makes us aware that maybe we've got pride in areas. Uh, what do you do if you don't feel the compassion that you see in the life and ministry of Jesus? Well, I think there's further good news for us. Those who have been regenerated are still, you might say, still on the operating table. We've been justified And now God is sanctifying us. He's continuing to work in us. He's continuing by His Holy Spirit to renew us. He has given us a heart transplant, and He's still working to renew us. If as a believer this morning, you've realized that you're experiencing some of the symptoms of cardioporosis, there is hope. He is at work in us to renew us, uh, to make our hearts look like His. Now, if any of us are really honest with ourselves... Um, we can see that we don't always look like Jesus in the way that we respond, not to people or to God, but we shouldn't despair. Rather than shrink back from God, we should press in more. Look into his word. See the love of God for us and the love that he has for others. Marvel at the patience and the kindness and the mercy of the Savior. Pray that God, by his Holy Spirit, would transform you to look more like his son. Let the great physician work in you. Invite him to use his scalpel if he needs to. Sometimes the healing process is painful. If I might switch up the the picture on you, I've been using a lot of medical imagery here, uh, but I used to be a machinist for a number of years, uh, and there's a process in machining called annealing. And if you know what that is, you'll know what I'm talking about. If you don't, well, I'll explain it. I'm not talking about kneeling as in like getting down on your knees, kneeling, but rather the process is called annealing, And it's, it's the process by which hardness is removed from steel. What they do is they, they take steel, they put it in an insulated oven, and they bring the temperature up. It goes up and up and up, and it, it gets hot short of the point of melting the steel. But what happens is the grains of metal of the steel that's been hardened either by work hardening or a uh, process of hardening, other processes, uh, it, it essentially lets the, the, the pressure out of it, the built up tension out of it, and then they cool it down slowly. And then as it slowly cools down, those grains uh, are restored to, to a previous softness. I mean, for as soft as metal can be, right? Uh, if you try to cut hardened steel, you are gonna burn through a lot of tools. But, if you anneal that steel first, uh, then you can make some good progress in it. Uh, In that process, uh, this this hardness is removed. And I think sometimes as we think about our own lives, uh, there's a reality in which God does something similar in our lives. Uh, God may bring us through some heat. uh, And God may not remove that heat right away. Um, Could it be that God has good purposes for us in that? Could it be that even some of the trials that we are facing is part of God's process of working in our hearts, preparing us to do more in us and to do more through us? I think that's certainly the case. God never wastes our pain, and he is not haphazard in his ongoing work in our lives. As we think about our passage in Mark chapter 3, we want to invite this Jesus, this great physician, uh, to work in us. He is after our hearts, and will we let him do his softening work in us, or will we rebel? Let's invite him to do that in us as we go to prayer. Now, if Erica would come to play and the men would prepare for communion, we'll go in prayer together.